been um, singing some very declarative um, songs this morning, haven't we? We've been confessing our belief in God the Father and Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit, our God, who is three in one. And we've been declaring we believe in the resurrection and we believe in the virgin birth and we believe in the um, saints' communion and the holy church. We've been declaring um, about what we believe. And um, this passage from Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 5 to 11, has been used by the church um, throughout the centuries as part of that confession, that declaration of what we believe in. Just to read it to you again, if you've got your Bible, um, turn with me, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the second part in a series of four messages that I'm preaching between the start of this year and Easter. And um, last time, two weeks ago, we looked at this truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we focused in particular on his death, on the crucifixion. We proclaimed him as our crucified King. But in, um, as part of that message, as we began to think about lordship and how important that is to us, we read from Revelation um, chapter 19. And I want to remind us of that. Revelation chapter 19 from verse 11. This is John describing his vision, his revelation of Jesus And it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. You know, we we so often picture Jesus, don't we, as, as this gentle savior, and that he is. We so often picture him as this humble, meek, and and mild Jesus, and that he is. But at the same time, in no way diminishing that aspect of who he is, he is also this rider on a white horse whose eyes are blazing with fire. This is the same Jesus. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head... Are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven were following him. This majestic king, Jesus, riding out on his white horse with the armies of heaven following him. His eyes blazing like fire. And they were riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus that we have declared, I believe in him. I believe in God the Son the majestic, mighty warrior king, the king who rides out at the head of an army with eyes blazing like fire and a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, the king who judges, the king who rules over all of the earth. This is the Jesus that we believe in. We looked last time at Joshua chapter five and that incident when Joshua had led God's people across the Jordan River and they'd been circumcised and all was going well and they were about to go in and fight the, the battles to take the promised land. And suddenly Joshua is confronted in Joshua chapter 5 and verses 13 to 15 by this commander of the army of the Lord, which we, we recognize could quite possibly have been an appearance of Jesus himself, given the description we've just read in Revelation chapter 19. The commander of the army of the Lord stands before Joshua with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua asks that question that so often we are tempted to ask of God. Well, are you on my side or are you on my enemy's side? Are you for me? Are you for my plans and my purposes? Or are you going to fight against me? And neither, says the commander of the army of the Lord. I'm not on your side. I'm not on your enemy's side. I'm on my side. Because he's the king. We are not the king with him here to serve us and give us whatever we feel like. He is the king. And we bow down before him in majestic reverence and awe as we behold his glory and his majesty and his power, the splendor of his might, King Jesus. And this is the good news that we proclaim. The good news of the kingdom, that there is a king, that there is a rule and reign from heaven, that there is a good king who knows how to rule over our world and over our universe, that there is a good king who knows how to establish justice and righteousness, who knows how to bring an end to sickness, who knows how to bring an end to death because his rule is the very source of life itself. Because life exists when he rules and reigns. That's our good news. That's our gospel. That there is a kingdom. There is a rule. Remember we said that word kingdom. It means the actual ruling and reigning itself. We're not so much talking about a territory or a dominion. We're talking about God's ruling and reigning. Christ's lordship itself. 
And this is the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed that he said would have to be preached to the ends of the earth before he would come again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 5, we read this. I do really want to encourage you, by the way, um, no looking around you now at who's got their Bible and who hasn't, but I do really want to encourage you to bring a Bible with you, or at least an app on your phone or tablet to read along the Bible when we're looking at the scriptures together. It's so, so important that we believe what we believe on the basis of the word of God on the scriptures and not just what we heard a preacher say or what we listened to on a podcast or that we actually read the scriptures and we understand what God is saying to us. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 5. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Do you get what what Paul is saying here? He's saying this is so important that you understand this because it's this truth, it's believing in this truth that saves you. So it's pretty important that we understand the truth we're supposed to believe in that will save us. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more, and and so it goes on. We need to believe that Christ died for our sins. And if you didn't hear that message a couple of weeks ago, it's available online. Um, It's really important that we get that that fundamental truth of the gospel, right? So fantastic, amazing, Christ is our crucified king. But this time it gets even better because he's not just our crucified king. We don't just believe that he died for our sins, but we believe that he rose again. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. It's easy to get so familiar with the story of the resurrection that we're like, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. It's basics, isn't it? It's like Christianity 101. It's just like, yeah, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And, 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 and you know, on Easter, we get to eat Easter eggs and, and it's new life. And this is the most spectacular event 
in all of human history. Nothing ever in all of history has ever happened that was more significant than what we just read about. This was the most amazing thing ever that ever has happened or that ever will happen. It is incredible and earth-shattering in its significance. And we should never, ever cease to be amazed by the resurrection. Let's think about it for a moment. Jesus was dead. The gospel writers go to great lengths to make sure we understand because they knew that this truth would be attacked and tested throughout the, throughout the years. They knew that everyone would do all that they could to say, well, Jesus wasn't really dead, but Jesus was completely dead. He did not faint. He was not in a coma. He was not nearly dead. He wasn't like in casualty when the patient, you know, when that beep, beep, beep machine goes beep, and you all know, and, then, and they all rush in and they're like, you know, trying to save the person and it's going on and they're like, we've been going for 10 minutes, is it time to call it? And they keep going and they, it was none of that. He didn't rise till the third day. Jesus was completely dead and it was all over. The soldier made sure of it as he thrust the spear into the side of Jesus. They weren't taking any chances. They wanted to be absolutely certain that Jesus was dead. So they wrapped his body in grave clothes and they placed it in a tomb and they did not call the resurrection team because no one had heard of having a resurrection team. I went to a church one time that employs people for a resurrection team. Come on, Jesus, bring on that day for us where we have people that are like the resurrection team that just go and, and raise all the dead. That's fantastic. But they didn't have a resurrection team. Nobody, nobody laid hands on Jesus. No one went into, the, into the, the grave and laid their hands upon him. And certainly nobody shocked him with a defibrillator. Jesus possessed resurrection life within himself. You see, the difference between ordinary, regular life and supernatural resurrection life is that resurrection life just will not die. Or rather, it will not stay dead. Because it's not like there's a little glimmer you see, it would be wrong of us to think that, 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 that you know, a bit like my boiler, it's like the, gas, the, the pilot light just kind of like goes out all the time, but sometimes it just like gets to a little, little tiny little bit and you can, you can revive it and get it going again. But it wasn't like that. It wasn't like there was a little tiny little, you know, little tiny flame and, the, and they gently kind of, you know, flapped about and, and, and brought it back. No, it was all gone. It was all gone. The body would have gone cold. All the life had gone. He was dead. Resurrection is the ultimate comeback. We love a comeback, don't we? We love it when someone comes back from being nearly defeated. But he was completely gone. He was completely dead. 
Resurrection life fights back when it's all over. When it's all over, completely gone. Not like, oh, I'm just hanging on and I'm I'm still believing because there's still a chance. When all your hope is gone. When there are no more possibilities. When it's absolutely impossible, resurrection life comes back. Think about your situation. You think nearly all hope is gone. Nearly I'm finished. I'm just holding on. It doesn't matter. Even if it all goes, resurrection can overcome. Resurrection can come back when it's completely finished. When it's completely dead. And resurrection life comes back. When someone's dead... It means there's no life left. Not even the tiniest bit. And death is just wrong. Death is wrong. It's our enemy. Death is our enemy. I understand that we know that when somebody dies in Christ, they go to a better place. And so I know that there can be times when we can feel relief and when we can feel great hope and we can find great comfort and strength in the fact that Jesus has taken a person to be in a better place. And in that sense, they are delivered from their suffering. I know that, but death itself itself was still never supposed to happen. It's our enemy. It came into the world when we as humanity rejected the kingdom of God. When we said, you know, he warned us. He said, don't do this, because if you do this, you will surely die. And we said, we want to be the judge for ourselves of what is right and what is wrong. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to be in control of our own lives. So actually, we think we will do this. Thank you very much. And we took that fruit and we ate it. And do you know what? We didn't drop down dead on the spot. And we thought, yes, we've got away with it. But this is the truth. If it is God's rule and reign that gives life, why would we be surprised that we cannot live without that rule and reign? And so we may continue living physically for a time, but in that moment we died spiritually. And when we die physically, there is no more life for us without the rule and reign of God. Only eternal death and separation. Because it's his rule and reign that we need to give us life. Because it's him that breathes life into us. It's him that says, let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. And if he didn't rule and reign, then there never would have been. Because he's the creator of everything, and he is the source of life. We've all been born spiritually dead since the very beginning, but when you become a Christian, you experience resurrection. The Bible refers to it in the book of Revelation as the first resurrection. When you believe into Jesus Christ, and suddenly spiritually you come alive again. Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins 
and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. When you were dead, Christ made you alive. You were completely spiritually dead. There wasn't a little bit of life in you. You weren't just holding on. You weren't being maintained by the machines and still just about alive. You were spiritually dead. But Christ, the resurrection king, made you alive when you were dead. 1 Corinthians 15 again then. I really hope you're good with us getting into the scriptures like this. It's so important that we understand our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read quite a chunk of this. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to repeat what we read before. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, by the way, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm just going to skip actually to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, then everything I'm doing right now is a waste of time, and so is you even being here and bothering to believe in Jesus. See how important the resurrection is? More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. Without resurrection, our faith is a complete and utter waste of time. Because it's only resurrection that can overcome the power of sin and death. It's not just his death, it's his death and his resurrection. It's only resurrection that can make everything new. It's all very well having an end to something, but you've got to have a new beginning. We end the old life so that we can begin a new life in Jesus Christ. God brings an end to the old order of things where everything is in decay, where everything is passing away so that he can establish something new. Look at Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, if you've been baptized in water, and I mean as a believer, believing in what you were doing, okay? If you've been baptized in water, as we read these verses, rejoice. This is fantastic. This applies to you. If you've not yet been baptized in water, be challenged by the Holy Spirit to actually do something about that and to get baptized in water, just as we read these verses. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That's what we talked about last time. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We got baptized because we wanted to identify ourselves and say, yes, this death of Jesus applies to my life. And yes, this resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this beating of the power of death that I could never do in and of myself because in and of myself, apart from Jesus, I don't possess resurrection life. But I want to believe into him So that I become united with the one who has the power of resurrection within himself. So that even though I was dead in my sin, I have died to that old way of life. And I've shared in the resurrection life of Jesus. And I've been raised from my spiritual death. That I might begin a new life in him. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus did for you. Jesus the king, the ruler of the universe. That that terrifying king, that mighty, magnificent, awesome king that makes us fall on our knees before him in his majestic glory, in his majesty, in his might and his power. The ruler of the heavens, the ruler of the earth. This king Jesus... He gave his life on the cross and then he rose in glorious triumph from the dead to smash the power of sin and death so that you and I could live resurrection life. So that we could be united with the resurrection king. With the king who rules over life and death itself that we could enter into union with him. And we could have his resurrection life in us. You see, 
He invites us to believe into Jesus. Dave was explaining it earlier. The Bible so often uses that language, believe into. We believe into Jesus. And what did Jesus say about himself? John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes into me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing into me will never die. Do you believe this? We believe ourselves into resurrection life. I love that song that we began to sing at the end of our time um, this morning where it says there is resurrection life in all you do. Because Jesus is resurrection He is resurrection. So when Jesus walks into the room, resurrection walks into the room. Now this is the stunning truth of our gospel. That when we believe ourselves into him, we die to who we were and we begin a new life in him and we become united with him. So now I am united with resurrection. So when I walk into the room, when I walk into the room, this is the truth. This is the truth that I am challenged to believe and to live. But this is the truth that's actually been accomplished. When I walk into the room, everything changes because there is resurrection life in all I do. Why? Because Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, lives inside of me. How about when you walk into your office tomorrow morning, everything changes? How about when you walk into your family, when you walk into your home, when you walk into your neighborhood, your community? How about when you sit down at the, um, at the parent governor's um, meeting? How about when you um, get involved in your community association? How about when you step onto the bus? Everything changes. I'm not talking about everyone on the bus immediately falls off their seats face down on the ground. Maybe that day will come when you do get on the bus and that happens. Let us know, won't you, if it does. I, I think probably it will cause a stir. But... But I'm saying we actually believe something is different because I'm here. Because resurrection, the resurrected King Jesus lives inside of me. Can you see how much difference resurrection makes? Romans 8, from verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, the spirit that he has just described as the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of resurrection, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of the resurrection king who lives inside of you. If you live by that spirit, 
then you are children of God. Verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies of our spirit that we are God's children. Being children of the resurrection makes us children of God. Being included in the resurrection makes us the children of God himself. We've become partners in resurrection life. You are a partner. You participate. You take part in resurrection life. If you don't, then you're outside of Christ. But the minute you believe into him, you take part in resurrection life. And you are filled with the resurrection life of Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 20 to 28... Back to that same chapter again. It says this, But Christ has indeed been, indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power And so it goes on, and we will look in a subsequent one of these messages at that wonderful truth, that wonderful hope that we have of Christ the coming King. Death has no hold on us because there's resurrection life inside of us. Death has no hold on us. Death is still around in this world, and we live in this tension where the end is still to come, and 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 physical death is still finally to be destroyed. But when we take part in Christ's resurrection, that death no longer has any hold over us. We have the challenge as children of God and as partners in resurrection life, because we have King Jesus ruling and reigning with resurrection life on the inside of us, of going into each and every situation and circumstance that we face and releasing that resurrection life of Christ. In Matthew um, chapter 16, um, Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus says that on that revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, he will build um, his church. And in Matthew 16, um, verse um, 17, Jesus says um, to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now Hades, many people often think of that as hell, but technically speaking, that's not quite true. There's another word in the New Testament for hell, it's Gehenna. What Jesus was actually saying was the place of the dead will not overcome it. Hades was the place of death. So what Jesus was saying was, I'm gonna build my church And the gates of death, or the gates of the place of death, will not prevail against my church. Many of you have heard us point this out before, that gates are not an offensive weapon. 
Gates are not what you use when you're on the attack. You don't go charging with all your gates in your hands to try and defeat the enemy. Gates um, are a defensive thing. Gates are what, what, what holds someone out, that stops someone coming into your territory. So it's death that's got the gates, and it's the church that's on the attack. And the church is going forward, and Jesus says, even the gates of death itself will not be able to stand against the church. So it's death that's on the defensive. It's death that knows its end is coming. And it's the church that is advancing. What's the church advancing? What's our weapon? It's the resurrection life of Jesus. And how can death ever hope to prevail against resurrection? Death does everything it can. It throws everything it's got at us. And we've always got the trump card. We've always got the ultimate weapon. Because if all else fails, there's always resurrection. Death cannot stand against the advance of the church of Jesus that comes in the name of Jesus, believing in all that Jesus has done and all that is accomplished as a result of what Jesus has done. And even the gates of death itself cannot prevail. In Genesis 22:17, Abraham was promised that his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies. We are the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, and we will possess the gates of Hades. We will possess the gates of death itself, and Jesus will finally destroy that last enemy, and death itself will be thrown, the scripture describes it in the book of Revelation, into the lake of fire. It's the resurrection, resurrected King Jesus who makes all this possible. See, this is big talk, isn't it now? We're talking about overcoming death itself. It's not a, a, a cute little Jesus. You see, he did become humble and meek. And he did suffer. And he did humble himself. But let that not diminish our understanding that we serve a mighty King Jesus who possesses resurrection life inside of himself and rules and triumphs over death itself. 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's the resurrected King Jesus who makes that possible. We were under the the dominion of darkness. We were under the law of sin and death. We were under the power of the enemy. But Jesus conquered death. Jesus won the greatest victory ever. He's the all-conquering king. That's why Peter proclaims in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He is now both Lord and Christ. Romans 1, 1 to 4. If you can turn there, Romans 1, 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was the resurrection 
that appointed Jesus, the Son of God, in power as Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection is not some insignificant little kind of nice part of the story. It's not, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is incredible. It's right at the heart of our gospel. And remember, gospel, it means the good news of our king. Right at the heart of our message is that our king beat death. Our king beat everything that could separate us from the life that God intended for us. That all the power of hell, all the forces of darkness, every bit of wickedness that you could ever imagine, the most evil expression of the depravity of man, as bad as it gets, as bleak as it gets, as dark as it gets, when all hope is gone, when it seems like everything is ruined and everything is over and there is no hope, King Jesus rises from the dead he is the resurrection and the life he's the ruler of the kingdom he's the resurrected king he can take away our sin he can give us new life because he's the resurrection and the life his resurrection is the proof that he rules and reigns over everything so when you see that situation that is impossible Consider the resurrection. When you see that which is impossible in front of you, consider the resurrection and consider the resurrected king. It makes all the difference in the world when we know who we have inside of us. When we know who we have inside of us, when we walk into our situation with Jesus, the resurrected king inside of us, Just look at a couple more scriptures and we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I pray that you will know this incomparably great power that is at work within you, that is available to you. I pray that you will know that power, which is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Paul cried out in his letters to the Philippians in chapter three and verse seven, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, 
to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Jesus. I want to freely embrace embrace dying with him. I want to die to my old way of life. Everything we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I want to turn away from all of that because I want to know resurrection life. I don't want to cling on to the old life of the flesh any longer. I don't want to put all my hopes and dreams, all my hopes of fulfillment and satisfaction in that old life anymore. But I want resurrection life. Because the good news that we represent and we proclaim is the new order of things. The rule and reign of God himself is coming. And the way to enter into that and be a part of that and participate in that is to live resurrection life. So thank God that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated the power of sin and death. Thank God that Jesus breathes resurrection life into me. And now my challenge is to say, God, I don't just want to know all about that, but I want to know that. I want to know Jesus. I want to live in Jesus. I want to live resurrection life. Could we just pray together? Jesus, we turn away from living life our way. Once again, Lord, we come to you and we say, if we have been living life apart from you, give us the grace to turn away from that right now and grant us true repentance that we might turn to you again. We want to live resurrection life. And we say we believe in your resurrection. We believe that you died for our sins and that you rose again and that your resurrection life is available to us in the here and now. And we give ourselves to living resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't um, been baptized and you want to be baptized, come and talk to one of the leaders down at the front. If you've never given your life to Jesus, You can do it this morning. Come and talk to us down at the front. We'd love to help you or talk with the person you came with if if they're happy to talk with you and explain more. But let's all of us give ourselves to living this gospel, to living resurrection life. Amen?